Amen. Amen. Kyle, I, it seems as though I could go up just a hair. Do y'all need a, maybe a little more volume or is it okay? Is it okay? Maybe I'm wrong. Okay. I know it's different. We're using a different mic this week. So um, as I look down, it's a little louder. If I look up, it's not so loud. I want you to go ahead and go to uh, Psalm 111 today. Psalm 111. And as you're going there, I want to remind you about how we teach our children. You know, in the hopes that one day they'll be able to communicate clearly. We've been thinking about this a lot these past few weeks with the little one, not quite two, and wondering how communication is going to go over these next few months and putting words together and things like that. But you know, one of the first things that we teach our children is the alphabet. We teach them their ABCs, don't we? And if you think about it, it's the ABCs that make up all the things that we communicate, all the ways that we talk, what we read, what we write. It's the ABCs that are still at work in all communication, in all literature, in all the sciences. And so no matter how technical or lofty our language gets, we always have to use the basics of the ABCs. Now, our psalm today, Psalm 111, is actually a psalm that is built on the Hebrew alphabet. If you look at the structure of the psalm, you see the first line is, praise the Lord, or hallelujah. And then every line after that begins in Hebrew with the consecutive letter of the alphabet. So there are 20 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. There are 20 lines in the Hebrew of this Psalm 111. And so the psalmist is using the alphabet in, in most basic form as a way to memorize the truth herein. But I would argue that these truths remind us of the basics of why we give thanks to God. Psalm 111, you see, as, as we'll read it in a moment, is about giving thanks. And I want you to notice as we read it, how it sort of, it follows the pattern of scripture, that there's a, an account of creation and the works of God and creation. It's an account of God preserving his people and the works of um, his faithfulness in covenant to Israel. And then it goes into the redemption that ultimately came through Jesus. And then it concludes with really our response. And so we see this flow happening with the basics of the Hebrew alphabet. I want you to join with me in Psalm 111. I will read the whole psalm. We'll pray and continue. Hear the word of the Lord. Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright, in the congregation. Great are the works of the Lord. Studied by all who delight in them, full of splendor and majesty is his work, and his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his works in giving them the inheritance of the nations. The works of his hands are faithful and just 
All his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. He sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. Join me in prayer. Father, once again, we ask your blessings on our time. We ask the ministry of the Spirit to make clear your word. Use this time to transform us. Father, use this time to convict us that we may repent, that we may fall in line with your will for our lives. It's our pleasure to do this today. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. The title this morning is Endless Reasons to Give Thanks. Endless Reasons to Give Thanks. And so in light of our series, Salvation Belongs to the Lord, the subtitle Faith in Times of Trouble, I want to use today to go back to the basics, the ABCs of our giving thanks because it's in these times of trouble that we need to remember the most basic things about God about his faithfulness, about his word, about his covenant. And I think this psalm does this well for us today. Notice the first verse. After praise the Lord, the psalmist writes, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright, in the congregation. You notice here, the the psalmist gives thanks first personally and then in the congregation. He says, personally, I want to give thanks with my whole heart. He brings his whole heart to make this worshipful act. Really, for the the one who has come to know God through his son Jesus, as Boyce says, there is no room for half-hearted praise or casual devotion. But I would argue this is one of the plagues of Christianity in our society. It is half-hearted at best. It is casual at best. I think in many ways I'm thankful for the trouble that we go through, especially in our society now. We ought to be thankful for this trouble because it causes us to depend on the Lord. It causes us to be more than half-hearted in our devotion or casual about our faith. It's at times like this that we really reveal, are we going to maintain faith in the Lord Jesus, or are we going to go the way of the world? We need to avoid any cold affection toward God. But beyond this, he says, I'm going to give thanks not only personally, but in the congregation, in the company of the upright. In its most basic form, we we share, as believers, we share what causes us to give thanks to God, right? Right? It doesn't take you much to say something about the deal on pork chops that is happening down at the pig, right? You find a good deal, you're going to tell somebody. Man, did you know pork chops are this cheap this week? Of course, you have to endure those lines and forget the toilet paper. But you see, we talk about these things because we see them as good, as wonderful. People need to know this. 
But we as believers, we come together to say, this is what God has done for me. This is why I'm giving thanks to God. But notice also here that the psalmist is not asking others to do something that he is not doing. He's asking them to join with them. He's asking us to join with him in giving thanks to God. And this is why we come together in worship to prompt one another's worship of the triune God. Dixon says, solemn meetings of God's children for his corporate worship and furthering one another therein are ordinances of God appointed for that end. Plummer says here, they have corporate worship in heaven. Do you realize that this is practice? In so many ways, this is practice for what heaven will be. And so I feel bad for the folks that that do not want to gather with the church, that neglect the church now, because all eternity is going to be a gathering of the church. We look forward to that occasion as we practice today. So Thanksgiving happens personally, but also essentially corporately in the congregation. Now, it's on that basis that I want to give you our theme and work through some reasons for our giving thanks. The theme this morning, God's innumerable works produce ceaseless thanksgiving. God's innumerable works produce ceaseless thanksgiving. And so my hope today is to convince you to take extended time giving thanks to God this week, even as you prepare for gathering Sunday. Because we do this in the congregation. But also, I would encourage you from this text today to begin developing a regular habit of thanksgiving in your prayer life, in your devotion life. You'd be surprised that even when your heart is not feeling it, when your flesh is not wanting the word of God, when you begin to recount the things that God has done for which you can give thanks, it turns your heart. It, it softens your heart to the truths of God's word. It's a wonderful way to prepare for your devotional life. So I would encourage you in these ways. As we walk through this text, the remaining verses, I want you to join me giving thanks to God for his works, giving thanks for God's works, because, number one, his works become our delight. Verse 2. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. The beginning of the psalm here lends itself to the many different kinds of the Lord's works. From the grand beauty of the created order to the providence of the Lord, the psalmist is really covering the gamut, as best he can do in 20 lines, for the reasons for thanksgiving. There's many that study the works of God in creation through the sciences but they do not study the de- with the delight of a worshiper. The created order is not simply a framework for natural laws to be studied as a subject. Creation is a means of further delighting in God. And once we have recognized the wondrously creative works of God, we delight in them. We delight in him. That delight 
leads us to more meditation and deeper consideration, more intimacy with God who created us. There's really a, a circular kind of pattern to this that grows. Upon discovering God's works, you delight in them. You study them. And you find even greater pleasure, greater delight in them. And it is only the heart with cold affections that is bereft, devoid of this kind of delight. His works become our delight. Secondly, his works display his righteousness. His works display his righteousness. Verse 3, full of splendor and majesty is his work and his righteousness endures forever. You see the language here is kingly. You see splendor, majesty, just like everyone desires leaders who carry out their authority in righteousness. God is the one who does this perfectly. And there are no wasted acts. Do you get that? God does not do anything just for the sake of doing it. Everything he does displays his majestic righteousness. Sometimes this is hard for us to grasp. Every now and again, I'll attempt to fix something in my shop. More likely than not, it's something with a motor. And you know, when I go to work on something, most of what I got is old and you got rusty bolts and nuts and stuff like that. And when I have trouble getting a, a nut loose or a, a bolt loose, I, I sincerely am frustrated to the point of wondering, why must I endure this kind of trouble right here? What value could this possibly have? God, why are you not letting this nut come loose? Based on the truth of God's word, everything that happens just like that, that seems so insignificant to us, God has purpose in that. You think about positively. Maybe there's an expense that pops up and then that same day you end up with the money that you need to pay that expense. Well, that doesn't seem so insignificant when it's working in your favor, does it? We think about these things and we don't often think about how these works, God's providence, great and small, show his righteousness. They show his good work, his majesty and splendor. We don't quickly ascribe these things in praise to the providence of God, but all these seemingly insignificant events are part of the vibrant work of God. Gill says here, every work of his serves to display his glory and set off the greatness of his majesty. His works display his righteousness. Thirdly, his works communicate his character. His works communicate his character. Verse 4, he has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. See, our remembrance of God's work, as this verse states here, our remembrance of God's wondrous works, his wondrous deeds, that, that doesn't depend on the sharpness of our minds. In fact, if it were up to us, 
we would gladly forget all that God has done and willingly walk in our own foolishness. Yet God has arranged human history in such a way that his works are inescapable and undeniable. From our origins to the center of things being Jesus to the end of all things that comes quickly, mankind will never be able to shut out the works of God. The previous verse described God's transcendent kingliness where this verse describes his character intimately. It is his work of salvation that ensures remembrance. True Israel could never forget the grace and the mercy of the Lord. He saved them in such a way that they know it was his work. It was not because of anything in them. It was because he was showing his love and his care for them. But believer, give thanks because the grace and mercy of the Lord is what turned his attention to you. He saw you in your helpless condition. He saw you in your inability to please him or do anything to earn yourself salvation. And he came to you in the ministry of his son who knows you and all your weaknesses and all your sinfulness, yet he died for you, rescuing you from sure destruction. When we speak of God's grace and mercy, this is not some impersonal, unaffectionate thing. This is the foundation of your communion with him. You know in real and lasting ways by these works in your life. When you begin to talk to somebody about God's grace and mercy, it's not some concept, is it? It's something that was real, that, that happened to you. That you experienced his goodness in coming to the knowledge of the gospel, realizing your offenses, and then he rescued you. So grace and mercy, it is real. It allows you to know him. It allows you to commune with him in these ways, intimately. His works communicate his character. Verse 4, more reasons. Number 4, his works meet our needs, you see in verse 5. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. As you see here in the text, he moves more specifically towards God's work regarding his people. God's provision is seen in the wilderness. He provides food. This specifically recalls the days when the manna fell on the ground. You remember this manna? It was fresh every morning and they had just enough for the day. And when it came to the Sabbath day, they took up extra beforehand so that they would have enough to make it through the Sabbath day. But if they took up too much or if they took up more than they needed, it would be rotten the the next day. Do you see how the Lord is teaching faith in these, these times? Do you see how the Lord is teaching his trustworthiness, how he cares for his people, how he provides for his people? 
Jesus spoke of the birds of the air and the lilies of the field in order to tell you that you don't need to worry about tomorrow. Won't the Father clothe you? Won't the Father feed you? So instead of anxiously striving under the burden of unbelief, which is what it is, what is your priority? He says, seek first the kingdom of God. Prioritize God's kingdom. I wonder if we need this lesson in today's world. See, we can count on God for these things because he, as the verse says, remembers his covenant forever. And on that, I'll just say thanks be to God. His works meet our needs. Another reason. From verse 6, number 5. His works secure our future. It says he has shown his people the power of his works and giving them the inheritance of the nations. I want you to see how we are people just like Abraham, just like Moses, apart from God's grace toward them, we're nobodies. God chose Abraham to be the one through whom all nations would be blessed, and he moved him to the nations promised to his people. And then under Moses and Joshua's leadership, the people inherited the promised land, the nations, and that is a picture of what was to come. The promised blessing would ultimately come through Abraham's offspring that one offspring, Jesus. And through faith in Jesus, many now become sons and daughters of Abraham and inherit the benefits of that promise, just like the people entered the promised land. You know how inheritance works. It, it comes by virtue of relationship. The son inherits all things. As the son, and as we are co-heirs with him, the Bible says we inherit all things. We inherit the nations. It ought to be refreshing, comforting, confidence-inducing. The father will never disown the son. Do you realize that our inheritance is that secure? Psalm 2.8 tells us that Jesus' inheritance is the nations of the earth. And this verse 6 tells us that the nations are our inheritance. And in light of Psalm 2, we, as it says, kiss the Son and take refuge in Him. His works Secure our future. Next. Next reason. His works deserve our trust. His works deserve our trust. Verses 7 and 8. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. 
They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. You know, from time to time, we sing the song. It's probably been a little while. Trust and obey. Y'all remember that song? Trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. That's exactly what we see in verses 7 and 8. His precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to be what? Performed with faithfulness and uprightness. Trust. Trust. And then obey. God's works which established the covenant people prove his word to be trustworthy. And so the psalmist says his precepts are trustworthy. These precepts were communicated clearly in the giving of the law. And so Plummer writes here, while all human governments are liable to decay and their rulers to change so that both fundamental and statute laws may be set aside, God's ways are constant and unchangeable. He says, with him, rules of justice never swerve. So we can trust the word of God because like him, it does not change. He deserves our trust. His precepts are trustworthy, but verse 8, they are to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. So trust and obey. He gave the law to his people for their own good, to be a delight to them. You know the other places in the, in the Psalms where the writer says, I delight in your law. You know, if you don't understand the purpose of the law, it's hard to delight in the law. I would say it this way regarding trusting in God's precepts and obeying God's precepts. I can understand the concept of how a motorcycle works. I can read the manual. I can know how this and that happens in the motorcycle. But you know what? My delight does not come from simply knowing these things. My delight comes from riding the motorcycle. Right? It makes the picture complete. So when we, we talk about trusting God, we must follow that trust we must pair that trust with obedience. We give thanks to God for his trustworthy precepts, and then we prepare to walk in them. We prepare to ride it, so to speak. Jesus reminds us that not one jot or tittle will pass away from the law. Jesus came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And so we have great delight in knowing that the law has been fulfilled. So walking in obedience is an act of freedom. It's an act of worship. We trust and we obey. His word will never lead us astray. It is infallible. His works deserve our trust. And then next, verse 9, his works accomplish our redemption. He sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. I want you to notice here how 
he sent redemption. You know, Hebrews talks about Jesus being an apostle. We don't often think of Jesus as an apostle, but he truly is the supreme apostle. He is the supreme sent one, which is what apostle means. It says right here that he was sent to redeem, that God sent redemption. So this was the eternal plan of the triune God to save a people for God's own own possession, for God's own glory. And so Jesus was sent, Jesus taking on human flesh, becoming just like us, truly man in all respects, just like we are. And this act of redemption is not just some event in the course of human history. This act of redemption is the supreme event of human history. It is the climax of human history. It is the center to which all things point. And it's appropriate because the scripture tell us that Jesus is the one for whom all things exist. The one to whom all things exist. The one by whom all things are held together. Jesus is the center of all things. He is the purpose of all things. And his act of redemption was God ultimately fulfilling his faithfulness, ultimately keeping his covenant, ultimately proving his word to be trustworthy. He sent Jesus to redeem. It also says that he has commanded his covenant forever. So that redemption has ongoing effects. The blessing of God's covenant continues to unfold as he wills. In the end, he keeps his covenant, and the blessings of that covenant are ours to enjoy forever. He says, the psalmist says, holy and awesome is his name. We give thanks to the God who saves. We give thanks to God who works all these things wondrously. We don't simply stop, though, at contemplating his works because his works, just like we know, are tied to his character. In celebrating and remembering his works and giving thanks for his works, we are learning more about God personally. We are knowing him better. As we delight in his works, we delight in him. As he displays his righteousness, he displays his character. As he speaks his work, all these things allow us to know him and commune with him in deeper ways. And so the psalmist says, holy and awesome is his name. In his name are all these things that we have just described. God, the self-existent one, the eternal one, has made himself known to us supremely in the person of Jesus. And so we give thanks to this God. Holy and awesome is his name. And we conclude in verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have good understanding. So I would ask you, as we come to a conclusion, I would ask you, 
Do you have this fear of God? Do you have this reverent fear of God? One writer says here, getting from this fear to the wisdom of God, he says, true wisdom begins with acknowledging or reverently bowing before God as God, and it progresses by getting to know God well. So I ask again, do you have this reverent fear of God? Are you seeking his wisdom? We put ourselves in the shoes of this psalmist and we must say amid whatever circumstances, whatever trouble, there are truly endless reasons to thank God. May we pour out every letter of our alphabet to his praise. And he concludes, his praise endures forever. Would you this morning come into the knowledge, the saving knowledge of God by fearfully bowing down before him as God? Would you submit yourself to him as God? As you enter into covenant through the blood of his son, he will maintain this covenant forever. And you may join with the rest of us in endless reasons to give thanks to God.